0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians, Allie Miller and her co-host, Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 96 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we're talking all about ancestral approaches to wellness. I'm super excited about the breadth of information we're going to cover today, but before we get into it, I want to hear from you, Allie, about your updates, what's going on with them. Look, I'm so pumped. <laughs> we are we're getting
2: there. And you know, it may be there. <laughs> like right now. <laughs> it's possible. Because we, of course, with summer try to get a little bit ahead of the curve. And the release date as of now should be out by the second week of August. And I've been having so much fun doing a lot of guest podcasts and Instagram lives. And it's just been really cool to hear the feedback of my functional medicine approaches to anxiety and hpa access and how people are getting really revved up about the opportunity to really thrive and feel optimized in their body again versus just kind of getting beat up daily and and going with the fact of this is old or this is what aging feels like or this is what being a mom feels like or working a high stress job this is quote unquote normal Uh, so we're already starting to create a really good churn of energy and I am just so excited for everyone to have a copy of the anti-anxiety diet in their hands and keep staying tuned. We're lining up some really exciting events uh, about book signings and um, just make sure that you guys subscribe to our newsletter, which you can do at AllieMillerRD.com. When you sign up, you'll also get a free two-week meal plan. And our meal plan is unique that it also has pop-outs on a, little, a bunch of information on functional labs we run in our clinic and uh, supplement strategy and such. So definitely a great free resource for all of you out there.
1: Awesome. And I can't wait to get a real copy in my hands. I've been tearing through my PDF copy and taking (laughs) a bunch of the recipes, but don't have the physical copy yet, but it'll probably be here, you know, very shortly after this episode airs. So we're pumped. Uh, And then we've got our virtual keto program. So this will be Our third go-round, Ellie. Fourth. Fourth, girl.
2: Oh, my gosh. Yes, (laughs) yes. So our fourth program of our virtual food as medicine ketosis class. And it is a 12-week program. For those of you listeners that love the podcast, I guarantee you will be obsessed with our virtual food as medicine keto program. Whether you are keto-curious or are fat-adapted and already killing it and just looking for more functional medicine – one-ups to continue to improve your lifestyle and your health or if you've hit a stall and you're curious about carb cycling and the role of detox our program is unique in that the sense that it's all real food focused you're going to learn about the functional properties of food as medicine And you're going to learn about things deeper down the rabbit hole with stress assessments and identifying adrenal fatigue or excess adrenal output. You're going to learn about leaky gut and food sensitivities. You're going to learn about hormones, the pathways of detoxification, and really how you can support your body for whole body health beyond just carbohydrate restriction and a high-fat diet.
1: It is so comprehensive. And we're not just talking macros. We're really going down the rabbit hole on addressing a lot of underlying conditions that could be hindering weight loss. Uh, It's an awesome program. We've seen amazing results so far, 50 plus pounds of weight loss in our participants. We've seen hormonal reset, sleep reset, just the gamut, Uh, definitely cravings. We see a lot of feedback on resetting our relationship with food and reducing sugar cravings so that program starts september 4th it is a 12-week program every other week you'll have a webinar and there are 20 plus handouts that we provide that we're in the process of redoing there is an ebook of all keto-friendly recipes and then another ebook that really gets into the nitty-gritty of the research so definitely check out the link in the show notes
2: It is only $199, and this is probably the last program that will be at that rate, and spots are already filling up, so be sure to snag yours today and really reset your system after the summer to jump full steam ahead into rocking out your fall.
1: Awesome. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting myself back into keto after birthday celebrations and things too, so I'm pumped to (laughs) be along with you guys for the ride.
2: All right. Always, always.
1: So... Let's jump into today's episode and um, define for listeners what we're talking about. When we say ancestral approaches, why is this actually important? What's the goal we're looking to achieve and what does ancestral mean to you, Ellie?
2: Great question. (laughs) So what we're looking at is pulling from trends and concepts. You know, if we think first and foremost, the, the movement of the paleo diet, I think a lot of the intention of that was getting back into the lifestyle and at least definitely the diet association of our hunter and gatherer ancestors. And so we're looking at beyond these food roles what are other successful approaches to wellness that have been lost in a westernized or modernized society and how we can intentionally and purposefully apply a twist of realistic approaches of gaining the benefits of our past without losing sight of the fact that we live in a modernized society. So we're going to be touching on things like movement uh, variances, sleep, stress, Of course, we know that there's definitely higher exposure to toxins this day and age. And then, of course, we're going to spend a good amount of time digging into the diet. So taking things beyond quote unquote paleo and keto and how we can use some of the tools of some of the abundance patterns that we see in ancestral days and also look at some of the things, of course, that were not existent, which is going to be a lot of the uh, processed quote unquote products that may try to get into a diet based on macros or particular buzzworthy, new kid on the block ingredients. Uh, So hopefully today we're going to empower you to kind of weed through all the garbage, get back to your roots, and get the benefits of really living a very simplistic lifestyle. And I
1: love how you said that gain the benefits of the past without losing sight that we live in a modern world because we're not going to go back to right. living in caves and you know taking down animals with, I don't know, <laughs> our hands or a bone arrow or something and eating raw meat. So it's right. kind of bridging that gap and finding what works for us and what aspects of that lifestyle will work in our modern society, and then trying to reduce the impact, I think, of some of those modern issues like toxicity. So
2: yes. And I mean, I hope for listeners, every element we talk about today, again, always keep in mind relatively where you are, you know, so there's always going to be a wide spectrum. And all of these elements, there's some way, shape, and form that you can just tweak or modify, or again, being mindful and aware Of trying to get back to some mode closer to balance, closer to the more Zen natural, connected state uh, that that we
1: all want to achieve, I I believe. I know. I all right. So let's start (laughs) off with talking about functional movement and comparing what we see today, kind of on both ends of the spectrum, both lack of movement and then distressing the body with you know, excessive exercise or over-exercising?
2: Sure. So, you know, it's really important to note that obviously being sedentary wasn't possible in our ancestral days because, uh, you know, based on uh, drought, based on climate change, based on natural disaster or predators, often we had to be much more mobile. (laughs) And a lot of the work was very functional whether we are looking at hunters or we're looking at gatherers or we're looking at people that were building homes or making cloth or whatnot the day-to-day functionality sedentary lifestyle just truly wasn't possible and there was at minimum a movement of two hours a day if not longer periods of time and when we look at today's unfortunately lifestyle lifestyle including myself you know i've actually noticed As a default, when I move to Austin and I work virtually, I may move less than actually when I was working in the Houston clinic, because at least my lunch hour, I was away from, you know, Stella, I was in the office and I would walk every lunch hour to go get my iced cortado. And yes, it was in an urban environment and there were cracked sidewalks and whatnot, (laughs) but I at least got to move my body for 45 minutes minimum every single day, even if it was the peak, peak, peak heat of summer, because it was a way for me to like get out of the cold AC, get out of those bright lights and recalibrate, if you will. And although in other ways, yes, I like live in the hills and I'm much more connected with actual nature out here. And uh, we we just saw actually... um, whole family of deer in the yard and armadillo in my neighborhood last week um, and vultures on our deck and whatnot. I'm definitely more connected, but working from home, having no commute and no walkable places to kind of go reset and purchase. If it's really, really hot, I may not be walking the stroller in 110 degrees. So that's a little bit of a variance that I've noticed personally when working from home. I can truly roll out of bed and like just wash my face (laughs) and sit on a chair in my bedroom and stay there. And um, then cook in my kitchen and and kind of not get close to the 10,000 steps that I would like to. So it has to be done more intentional now. Um, And sedentary work is is definitely very common today with all of the technology advances. A lot of people are working from home. A lot of people, if they are commuting, are commuting in their cars or, you know, on a train, whatnot. Um, And so sometimes in the more urban environments, we get actually more steps in and more movement than we do in more of the uh, rural or um, independent type type of contract work. But functional movement is really key. And this is the type of movement that works with the function of the body. So this is purposeful work, if you will. And within functional movement, I think a really important part for looking back to ancestral health is actual grounding and earthing. So maybe not truly movement associated, but I put this in this category because I think it's so important to discuss and we actually haven't discussed this concept i don't think i do so episode. either
1: I'm, I'm curious to yeah. hear your take yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: so you know brady is uh, a wireman and so he was working as an electrician uh installing solar panels prior to to helping take over with with naturally nourished clinic and um i was talking to him about it last night i was like so when you always say like oh is there a ground wire in here I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, oh, there's actually like a rod (laughs) that is drilled into the earth, like into our earth. Our earth is actually a gigantic battery. Like this blew my mind, actually. (laughs) So the earth, like actually our ground, the planet we live on has this gigantic battery charge that creates this natural, subtle electric energy. And it is very present in the ground and for safety and stability, anything in the electrical world is connected and rooted into the ground. That's what the word grounding actually means. So like electrical power plants, our refrigerator, all of these are connected to ground wires, which are drilled into the earth. Um, And they've actually done pilot studies because the plastics and the types of, uh, you know, bottoms of our shoes create this direct segregation from grounding or earthing. So we lose that charge there. (laughs) None of us are sleeping on mats on the dirt anymore, of course. And a lot of these synthetic materials interrupt that electrical charge, which can definitely play a role. We've actually seen in studies in cortisol levels. Uh, so this actually can throw our circadian rhythm off. It can play an impact on influencing our stress response and driving adrenal burnout. And actually, we can see immunological and inflammatory impact. There was a small pilot study where they actually were studying for chronic pain. Medical thermal imagery for people that were practicing an hour of of earthing, which was basically just walking around barefoot. And they saw through thermal, it's a small pilot of 12 people, but they saw thermal imaging of reductions of inflammation in all of the
1: participants. So cool.
2: (laughs) So I'm (laughs) trying. Yeah. Great. Right. So like, it's not just hippy dippy. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, ah. So like literally when Stella says, hi, Mr. Tree <laughs> and hugs the tree, because uh, our Tinker Garden class really is all into connecting to the earth. Um, I love that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like we really need to spend more time doing this. So I would really recommend for this part beyond functional movement, which would be intentional purposeful movement to actually increase your heart rate and exercise moving out of that sedentary state, helping with lymphatic flow and cardiovascular function, actual earthing in itself, getting barefoot for a half hour or more and getting outside should play a huge impact on your pain, your stress level, and your sleep cycles. Uh, So soil, grass, sand, and concrete – and uh, sand, I mean, I definitely know that there's something so peaceful when you have ocean current as well, which has charge, of course, and, and walking in the sand. But even concrete does conduct that surface. Wood, asphalt, and vinyl do not Good conduct. to know. So important to kind of <laughs> distinguish the, the variance there. Um, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, of course, there's always biohacking, right? So, there's like all these new products of like, oh, this grounding mat um, that has this built in charge you <laughs> under your desk, under your feet. You guys don't try to outsmart nature. If you're trying to mimic nature, just like get outside and do it. Um, you know, it's, I just thought that was kind of funny. I was like, no,
1: <laughs> it's totally counterintuitive. Don't. I was just yeah. thinking though, you know, living in Houston, I'm like, where am I going to be able to go? and stand in the grass without either stepping in dog poop (laughs) Or stepping on a nail or getting into a construction zone.
2: Yeah. And, you know, at at Bastier we had a a Zen path, um, which was like all these uh, reflexology stones. And so I'm totally like, oh my gosh, I'm resetting up my reflexology path in my yard somewhere. It's going down. Cool. We'll see. I'll send pictures if I do it. Um, So yeah, sitting, standing, walking outside, huge recommendation. And then back to exercise, we really want to think of things that have cadence and flow so even if we were hunting think of it you know we were never doing like high intensity interval training if you actually were running from a cheetah it was not on a daily basis hopefully your tribe was smart enough to adapt and relocate and protect with barriers and such Um, so intermittent spurts and sprints yes could mimic our ancestors however that was not done on a chronic exposure mode it was much more intermittent not done daily and the body also had a lot more restorative benefits. So I like to recommend more of like, again, if you were thinking of relocating and traveling, there may have been eight, 10 miles of, of movement, purposeful movement within that period of time, but it wasn't this up and down jagged escape mode or high stress impact on the body. It was done with cadence and flow. If you think of tribes that moved with rhythm, with a, with a drum beat, um, this is the type of functional movement we want to go for. So I'm a huge fan, as you guys know, of walking. I am a huge fan of being out in Austin, using the hills as my resistance training, uh, using planks and push-ups and things that you can use your own body weight. And if you can kill two birds with one stone, being outside of a gym environment, which is going to have that artificial lighting and a lot of you know volatile chemical compounds from the different solvents and and um, you know compounds that are artificial in that environment working out outside if possible would be a high
1: recommendation as well. Awesome. And we had a great episode that I'll link to on over-exercising if that high-intensity piece struck a chord. I know this has been a big learning for me. I used to be a runner and run marathons and do more you know, spin class four to five times a week and things like that. And I was totally wiped out and exhausted. And it's been a huge learning to transition to doing like one spin class a week, if that, and focusing more on just resistance training for sure. So I'll link to that in our show notes.
2: And with that being said, you know, again, there's all different lines of perspective. So I'm right now at a place where I'm I'm doing my walking. Well, right now it's like 108, so I'm I'm not walking this month. (laughs) I would literally die. But so I think that's what's making me feel personally stir crazy. So I started doing this plank challenge with myself. And I've been hitting up more in Danny. And I'm like, you guys, give me an at-home workout regimen. I like need some arm weights that I pull out my five pound arm weights. Um, and so I I do know that I need some structure. And, you know, I also want to do some purposeful functional movement in addition to some toning. And so there's always a line, right? And and where you're at. And so I may need to be the one that revs it up. You may need to, to be the one that mellows it out. And there's always a happy medium within that world. Uh, but but definitely not over pushing the body. And I have so many clients that when they're practicing, for instance, intermittent fasting, if they're exercising too high of intensity during their fasting, they don't get the benefits of the fast because, again, their body doesn't go into that autophagy beneficial recalibration and reset when it's under a chronic stress, high cortisol output from too intensive that of exercise. So much
1: sense. So interesting. Okay. So let's uh, transition into talking about. Sleep, because this is another big one I think to hit on. Uh, So I know there are studies that say that hunter gatherers, you know, slept maybe five to seven hours a night, but we have to put this into context where we saw a much more stable circadian rhythm that was literally dictated by, you know, the sun coming up and sun going down, sleeping when it was dark out, um, no exposure to Mm -hmm. EFM. You know, we didn't have that 6 billion pounds of toxins in the environment every year. They're probably working more like 20 hours a week versus 40, 50, 60, 70 plus up there. And then probably being physically active about two hours per day. So let's talk sleep.
2: Yes. So totally. Restorative, less stressed environment probably requires less sleep, uh, but we need to be back to the demands of the body and doing what's reasonable to balance out where we are at. So the the best thing we can do, we're talking about electronic magnetic field and blue light is definitely shutting down our blue light at least an hour prior to bed and using blue blocker glasses. That's definitely more of like a new age biohack. But again, What is realistic for our environment? Like I know me right now at this stage of my career and demands, there's no way that I can commit to turning my laptop off when it's dark outside. I just can't. It would be awesome if I could, (laughs) but there's too many of you that I need to help and I'm too impassioned to get this message out. So I do commit though to wearing blue blocker glasses and um, I've also purchased an infrared sauna. (laughs) So this is an area where, yes, I need, To biohack (laughs) to get my body back to circadian rhythms because my lifestyle doesn't support right now the natural modes, which would be shutting it down, (laughs) you know, like mellow out, shut it down, actually have no blue light in the evening, play records, you know, maybe light a candle or something, hang out with Brady uh, with a nice relaxing glass of wine and then go to bed at 10. (laughs) Um, Maybe that's it. Yeah, that's like a like life goal. Hashtag life goals. Um, so yeah, <laughs> when that happens, I don't know. Maybe I won't be able to write podcasts though. So who knows? Um, so so I think you're all preferring me in this sense. Um, So yeah, doing what I can to biohack in that sense, blocking that. Um, I even have clients that are so uh, susceptible to the uh, EMF that they have to like unplug their router to go to bed. Um, and they do different things with their electricity. I don't right now, maybe it's just because <laughs> I'm so hyped up on adaptogens and such <laughs> and CBD oil that it doesn't impact me. Um, but it's another concept. You know, you might think about what parts are running electrical current through your house and how you can modify that environment in the evening. Definitely ensuring you can get blackout blinds really important or wearing a sleep mask. But be mindful that sleep is in higher demand with increased stress. So you need more of that restorative impact. And I do commit to getting as much as I can eight hours a night. Um, and uh, what you can do and if you need melatonin in addition to that, which I, I have been taking uh, the sleep support from our Naturally Nourished line, because to me, again, cost to benefit ratio is getting that melatonin antioxidant in my neuro space to recalibrate my neurotransmitters and keep me sharp and rocking and rolling and support my immune system so i think sleep is super important for its regenerative function its cortisol regulation its metabolic and immune function and we all need to consider where we're at with that and make sure that we're all getting restful sleep whatever of those biohacks it takes Again, getting back to removal would always be the first recommendation. And I'll link to our
1: episode on insomnia because we go really deep down on some of our other hacks and things that we've tried, things that have worked and things that haven't like Byron's alarm clock that starts turning orange (laughs) in color and playing uh, Native American music at 5.30 a.m. That doesn't work. Uh, So I'll link to that in our show notes so you guys can have access to more tools for getting a good night's sleep. But talking about the benefits of sleep, the immune upregulation, the metabolism reset, metabolism, excuse me reset that we get during rest, um, let's talk also about frequency of eating because I think this is probably one of the biggest ones that we have to push against uh, in yes. our modern world.
2: Yes. I mean, we're all too frequently food stimulated. And I mean, fasting is going to be one of the biggest ways to mimic our ancestors, regardless of culture, because of food scarcity, because of drought, because of, uh, you know, the accessibility there was always fasting going on Um, and it may not have been a strategic 16-8 right (laughs) like some of us are looking to do which would be 16 hours without food so that would be like 8 p.m until noon and then eating only during an eight-hour window Um, that's one of the easiest ways to reap the benefits of this intermittent fasting or just pulling the frequency factor of snacking out of your diet and going back to like two staple meals and maybe one protein shake or something like that with greens. These are great techniques, and you may even consider a quarterly bone broth fast, um, especially if we're looking to balance out our amino acids. And and we'll speak to that when we're talking about protein selection and getting into the nitty-gritty of ancestral approaches to food selection. But um, definitely we see in research the benefit of insulin levels declining with less frequent exposure of eating or less frequent snacking, less digestive distress because the body's actually able to kind of shut down digestive function. And then we get more nutritional activity in the body. Whereas if we're constantly eating, that's actually stressing the system to mechanically enzymatically break things down and process the foods that actually requires a lot of energy of the body. And that deters the immunological function of the surveillance system and the benefits of autophagy so we'll also link of course our episode on intermittent fasting but this is one of the best tools that you guys can do i will say it works best if you are someone that's using a ketogenic lifestyle or diet that is very low in carbohydrate and higher in healthy fats because you're going to naturally have more satiety Um, but even if you're low glycemic practicing intermittent fasting, low glycemic, I would define as like less than 90 grams of carbs a day, which I don't recommend anyone going above that truly. So, you know, even if you're doing two fruits and one starchy vegetable, and then not uh, restricting your non-starchy, excuse me, two fruits, one starchy veg, and then not restricting your non-starchy vegetables, that would probably put you more low glycemic world. You still could actually be producing ketones when you're practicing this fasting model especially if you extend it into like an eighteen-six, So listening to your body, eating only when hungry, and reducing the frequency of food exposure is a huge way to reap ancestral benefits.
1: Yes, and we're still so often hearing, you know, trainers and things like that suggesting like six small meals per day and eat every two to three hours. And it's like, guys, that hasn't worked for us so far, so let's try something else. Uh, (laughs) totally
2: yes and if you are having carbs you know you may have more of the blood sugar drops when you're not eating so you may get that hanger and really what I'd recommend doing is just ensuring first and foremost that you're not doing any naked carbs so if you're having a carb it's always paired with protein or healthy fat and then you may play with reducing your carb intake see how you feel if you had just eggs with brussels sprouts and fresh thyme and goat cheese at that breakfast Instead of, you know, having that with the sweet potatoes or especially rather than having just a bowl of berries on their own and not having a a fat or a protein, that's going to definitely give you that peak and that crash.
1: Awesome. So I'll link to our episode on intermittent fasting. And then we also have a blog post on bone broth fasting, which I just came off a three day bone broth that my husband and I try to do about quarterly. We were feeling like we were eating out and drinking a little bit too much and having way too many celebratory outings. So we did a little reset this weekend and I feel awesome.
2: (laughs) Good. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely a good vlog to learn. All right. So
1: going into actual foods and food selection, let's start off with This concept of being a locavore. I know this is one we're both super, super passionate about. Um, And then let's talk about what being a hunter gatherer looks like in the modern age when we're not like foraging in the forest.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this idea of of eating seasonally and buying locally should be a huge goal. And the reason for that, of course, is that you're going to get the most nutritional density from a food that actually is able to peak. It's growth attached to that tree, attached to that plant base. Uh, you know, too much produce that we're eating these days are are picked before their ripeness. They are artificially um, ripened by ethanol and um, gases, and this does not allow that nutritional complexity and density of antioxidant phyto compounds to develop. And when a food is grown, also in more of a synthetic environment. They're not going to get that defense mechanism against environmental uh, like drought and blight and things like that. And that's what also builds up their phyto compounds and antioxidants when the plant has to kind of fight for itself and it doesn't get that artificial pesticide or chemical Uh, coating, if you will. So seasonal, organic and local is huge and allowing things to actually come into fruition in their full food form. And if you're able to source at a farmer's market or purchase through a community supported agriculture, um, which is like a prepaid box, maybe in your area where the farms are going to source, you're going to get things that were likely harvested within days of your consumption versus months huge difference there in what you're consuming. And also the attention to the soil diversity, the mineralization, um, and most of those farms, especially if organic or sustainable, are using compost. You're going to get a lot more microbiome support from those soil-based organisms. And this is all going to be really important as far as optimizing our whole body health. So that's going to get you the closest to this hunter-gatherer approach, um, you know, rather than buying at Whole Foods grocery store, as much as you can direct from producer purchase and growing your own, of course, would be gold, gold standard. And then beyond that, if you're able to procure wild foods, so for instance, we're talking about things like purslane or minor lettuce, these greens, for instance, are going to have Hundred times, it's 20 to 100 plus times the nutritional density that we will find in even something like kale or arugula or chard, which are domesticated. So when we can find wild berries, wild greens that are edible and incorporate those into our diet, um, talking about dandelion and weeds and such like that into our salad bowls, this is going to be a really big punch of nutritional density and a great way to mimic the behavior of our ancestors as well. And then if we're eating seasonally, this is really important too, because let's think of even something like cauliflower, which I can definitely be, uh, this could be an an area of my need of improvement. I mean, I love cauliflower and it had been red on my MRT two years ago, probably because I love cauliflower (laughs) and um, I've been known to eat cauliflower all year round. Just because like I can make so much fun stuff with it. We can make pizza crust with it. We can use cauliflower rice. I can just roast it with curry seasonings. And it's such a great detox supporter. It's just quick and easy to throw together as a side to any protein. But it's not something that's around year round, right? And so like I'm, I'm doing my body a disservice by eating cauliflower every single week because I'm actually setting up my immune system to have more sensitivity to that. I'm not going to get as much nutritional density from that because the body kind of acclimates and it would be much more beneficial for me to even consume something like the, the hot peppers that are available now in August, um, which, you know, yes, they have solanine, but I'm not someone that's had an issue with nightshades in my past or currently as I've done elimination diets. So even though I might perceive that to be less nutrient dense, eating these heirloom varieties of like the globe eggplant and the hothouse peppers and, and the tomatoes, um, which are in season right now. And the shishito peppers, these are the foods that should be much more nutritionally dense and also should be easier for my GI tract and help to, um, support my immune system to knock it into that intolerant state.
1: Yep. I'm totally guilty. I had cauliflower last night. I'm sure you saw on Instagram. <laughs> I love cauliflower, guys. (laughs) Me too. In my defense, I was preparing a uh, slow cooker blog recipe that will come out in the fall time, but still, (laughs)
0: um,
1: so, so important. And then um, beyond the concept of of produce and approaching our produce this way, uh, let's talk more about protein choices and... Um, animal consumption and sourcing. But actually, before we get into this, I want to have a very timely word from our brand new sponsor. We are so excited to announce that this episode of the Naturally Nourished podcast is thoughtfully sponsored by Further Food.
2: Yes, so Further Foods, for those of you that are not familiar, uh, is a line of products that have the highest quality food as medicine supplementation. They started with a grass-fed bovine collagen, which is pasture-raised. They have also a wild-caught cod collagen. All of their products are non-GMO certified, hormone-free, and antibiotic-free. And their community is made up of functional medicine doctors, nutritionists, health heroes and advocates. And they really work to build this platform of this expertise to inspire the use of their products within innovative recipes and strategy that work daily. And the company themselves use their products every day. And since we met them, (laughs) we've been playing with them and having so much fun.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we met Ashley and her team at KetoCon this year, and it was just super cool to meet a women owned and operated company. We can uh, synergize sympathize with anyone. that or <laughs> <laughs> sympathize with that, I guess, or empathize, whatever. It's like empathize. us. No, no sympathy. <laughs> Not sympathy. <laughs> Empathy. Um, or that's just. That's just like us. Uh, So each of the three women on the team actually has their own personal experience with chronic illness from IBS to Crohn's to thyroid disease. So, you know, thinking about these illnesses that disproportionately affect women and how we're often underserved by traditional medicine, they work to create products that are going to help to empower the body with food as medicine and bring optimal wellness.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I have transitioned fully to using their collagen exclusively, and I continue to get great results as far as hair, skin, and nails. That's one that I notice if I travel I and I don't bring my collagen, I will have a little bit of hair thinning, um, and I definitely notice my nails getting softer. So one of my favorite things within their line is they have travel packs of their bovine collagen, and um so this is something i throw in my diaper bag and i can mix into an iced green tea on the go i've used their collagen in hot and cold recipes and uh just put out a cool blog using them in keto muffins and have played with them in pancakes as well and their wild cod option made me super pumped too because when we do mrt food sensitivity testing The cod is a fish that's been tested, so it's a great option if someone has a sensitivity to beef or the bovine collagen, then they have a solution as
1: well. And I've been using their daily turmeric tonic. I actually used it through my bone broth fast this past weekend, and it's a synergistic um, formula made with turmeric, schisandra berry, black pepper. It tastes really, really yummy, so it's beyond just putting, you know, a tablespoon of turmeric and something, you get a whole lot of other flavor and um, adaptogen influence in there as well.
2: And no fillers. A lot of the other turmeric powders are going to put something in there for weight. Yeah. (laughs) So keto-friendly and anti-inflammatory and adaptogenic stress support. And my favorite favorite part about further food products is that they're affordable and accessible. So when we compare them to other grass-fed, pasture-raised, and wild-caught products on the market, they provide a really accessible price point to everyone to be able to try and use and get the benefits of collagen. So uh, before we start to talk a little bit more about the benefits of collagen, if you're interested in checking them out, use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout and you will get 10% off. And stay tuned on our Instagram at AllieMillerRD. We will be doing a giveaway of a month worth of their bovine collagen, their wild cod collagen, and their uh, turmeric product as well. And we're super stoked for you all to try and experience and save some money over some of the competitors where they have just as high quality, if not better, because they are able to give us their third-party assessments on metal toxicity, which we were super pumped about too. So, so
1: awesome. Love those ladies. All right. So if we're not hunting per se, for our (laughs) proteins, what would you say is the next best thing, Allie?
2: So we really want to look for grass-fed, pasture-raised, and grass-finished, as well as wild-caught fish and shellfish sourcing. So we want the diet of the animal to be its ancestral diet. We don't want to eat fish that are eating corn, which Doesn't grow in the ocean, by the way. Um, We want them eating plankton and algae and other fish. We want our ruminants to be eating grasses, right? And so this is going to give us a really nice profile of the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. And we're also going to get more benefits in the ruminants like CLAs or conjugated linoleic acids, which can help to support metabolic function and immune function and um, definitely going to have a lot less inflammatory impact in the body. And then beyond the animal's diet and the sourcing of the animal, we want to really practice this snout-to-tail philosophy. So that is where collagen can be an awesome biohack, if you will, um, or way to get ancestral without maybe having to make 36-hour bone broth in your kitchen, which Brady was laughing at me because it was 110 and I was making (laughs) 48-hour bone broth. He's like, dude, can you please turn the, the stovetop off? I do it with my gas stove. And he's like, oh my gosh. Um, so, you know, if, if it's hot in the summer, bone broth is a great gold standard option because bone broth and collagen are going to have glycine and proline, which are two amino acids that help to balance out the methionine ratio, which can drive homocysteine levels and inflammatory processes in the body. Glycine in itself, which is found in collagen, bone broth, and in skin, well, collagen predominantly is made from hide, right? Um, We're going to get, so skin would also be like uh, doing uh, chicharrones or pork skins from quality sourcing. Um, And so these types of foods are going to give us a lot of glycine and glycine can actually help with neuromuscular relaxation. It's also very anti-inflammatory and supportive for our GABA, which is one of those neuroinhibitory mellowing out brain compounds. So really good for anxiety, really good for stress support. And then the collagen specifically is going to be strategic for our connective tissue. So we get hair, skin and nail benefit, and then that gut restoration benefit. And I was actually talking uh, on an Instagram live about this and the idea of keto carnivore and um, this idea of, is there enough biome support? And we don't have any studies on this because this is too new of a food. But collagen peptides, when you work with them, they're super sticky. Like if you ever get your fingers wet, you know, and you touch collagen, um, there is definitely a like poly-rich peptide impact. um, And there has to be some prebiotic influence of collagen because it does have that oopy goopy, of course, gut lining support. um, But it also has a, a big stickiness factor as does gelatin. And so there's likely, I would say strongly that there's likely some impact favorably on the biome beyond just gut integrity when we're using these types of foods. And then beyond collagen, bone broth, skin consumption, and just grislier, fatty, or cuts of meats, which is super important as well, getting more of the saturated fats from these quality sourced animals, we want to consume organs as well. Thinking back to ancestral health, They ate, again, snout to tail, and they would go for the vital organs first. This is the most nutritionally dense parts of the animal. So we're talking about getting high amounts of B12 and zinc and CoQ10, um, so actual antioxidants in your animal products, mineral density, B vitamins, and that's going to be seen when we're
1: eating things like liver and kidneys and heart. Awesome. And I'll link to a couple of our favorite um, organ recipes to make them palatable because I think that's a big uh, thing. That's a big turnoff for yes. some people. Um, and even just thinking about, you know, it's so interesting, trends of deficiency, like glycine deficiency is huge. And it's because we're not consuming yeah. these foods and they're kind of tossed aside. You can't just,
2: yeah, you can't just eat ground beef, you know. And I think that unfortunately, that's one of the lost pieces of a keto or paleo diet is, is just eating meat, period, but not being mindful of the, the cuts yes. and the distribution.
1: So let's take an ancestral keto approach now and talk about what that looks like. So even in, you know, certain tribes that did consume higher carbs, many of them ran on ketones just based on lifestyle, based on fasting, food scarcity or food frequency, right? Right.
2: Right. So even if it was, you know, one of these tribes that did a higher legume or pulse type diet with higher carbs, many of them were still hybrid machines, if you will, running on ketones and glucose. And a lot of them had, of course, a lot less insulin resistance. There weren't endocrine disrupting compounds. And so their body was easier to shift gears and likely didn't have as much metabolic distress. Right. So the ketogenic diet or the use of ketones as a fuel source is definitely ancestral. And I think it's an important thing to identify. And generally speaking, this kind of keto carnivore or keto paleo are probably the closest as a purest connection to ancestral trends. Uh, and and again, the biggest importance within this keto carnivore is to get that snout to tail balance if you are to eliminate vegetables. And I generally recommend that there are absolutely benefits of getting plant compounds in the diet, especially again, comparing back to like Inuit and certain troops that maybe didn't have plants. We live in a different environment where we have free radical exposure, where we have more toxic exposure, where we need higher fiber to move the toxins out of the colon that the liver and kidneys are distressed with removing. So I really find that getting a benefit and a blend is important. I'm on board with doing like a keto carnivore as a 30 day reset, or even a four to six week timeframe to remove potential irritants. And then during that time, consider doing like a dysbiosis cleanse, like our six-week beat the bloat program, or uh, looking deeper into leaky gut and really working with the bone broth regularly during that process and collagen protein. And then uh, maybe even assessing an MRT diet if when you are strategically reintroducing foods and getting your distress. Because it may be something like spinach or lettuce or onion that you're having daily that seems to be non-reactive or a safe food that's causing immunological inflammatory reactivity. So I think not tolerating vegetables is a sign of imbalance in the body and that you can use keto carnivore as a platform of reset and elimination diet foundation. But then we really want to get back to the ideals of two to three cups of greens, Using animal fat, so another shift maybe from the keto paleo instead of just ghee, which is an animal fat, yes, but just coconut oil and butter and ghee. We want to use the fattier cuts of meat. We want to use lard. We want to use tallow. Uh, we want to use duck fat. So these are all great diverse fats that are going to provide a lot of nutritional density. We want to get that diversity of the cuts of the animal and marine protein. We want to incorporate fresh herbs and seasoning in abundance. It's a great way to get high antioxidant capacity with a tiny pack of nutritional density without maybe so much fiber distress. We want to get in the bone broth and collagen and gelatin. And then we want to get about one to two cups of non-starchy vegetables from seasonal local sourcing. So whether that's shishitos this week and zucchini, and that's followed by rotating again, I would put that on top of your two to three cups of greens and then a moderate incorporation of nuts, seeds, and berries. And thinking of maybe some of the ancestral nuts like peely nuts, that'd be a great way to kind of add another approach of something that is less um, westernized and um, hybridized in its uh, growing techniques, uh, a really good ancestral approach. And we could put a link in our show notes. If you haven't tried peely nuts, they're the highest fat nut the lowest carb, um, and um definitely have not been adulterated. So you're gonna get a really good bang for your buck nutritionally. And um, we also have a discount code for you we can put in our show notes.
0: Will
1: do. And um the peeling nuts are so nice and rich and creamy. They're so, so yummy. But I love what you just said about keto carnivore and uh, carnivore diet in general, it's not the vegetables that are the problem most likely. You know, it's not that vegetables are bad if you're not tolerating them. It's, you know, something going on in your body and your gut that you're not tolerating them that you need to correct and address. I love that because I right. think like we like- demonize veggies sometimes when we get into that approach.
2: Yeah. And, you know, they do have lectins, They do have anti-nutrients. But why is your immune system not able to work around that. That's the question. And why is your gut so sensitive and, and, and damaged that it's not able to tolerate? So that's, we got to get to the root of working with the body so we can reap the benefits and not have a distressed reaction.
1: Awesome. And then let's talk a little bit about um, food-like substances. <laughs> totally. Thank you. Delve um, yeah. into that a little bit further because there's I mean- always a new one coming up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I think the other thing I would just mention is, is dairy, right? So in a keto approach, often dairy can be a big staple. And so a more ancestral approach would be limiting dairy. And then yes, limiting food like substances and eating whole real foods. So there's always going to be a new kid on the block. Um, You know, erythritol is still I think the my kind of most popular sweetener in the game. Alley use, I don't even know how to say it. Alley use. Have you heard Auralose? Auralose? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a sugar alcohol, um, and it's being deemed as a prebiotic because only seventy to eighty percent is absorbed in the intestines. Now, it's still a sugar alcohol. It's chemically adulterated and created, and um, it's like naturally found in like fig. Um, but it, it's, getting it in a white powder is not a real food. And um, it's absorbed in the intestines 70 to 80% and comes out in the urine unmetabolized again. So, total GI distressor. And um, I would definitely be concerned about a microbiome disruption and absolutely that hypoglycemia, insulin resistance spike. Um, or, so either insulin resistance because you get the ding dong effect of sugar and you don't have sugar coming into the cells, or the spike, your body tastes sweet. And you get that cephalic response where your body releases insulin and then you go hypoglycemic crashing and you get headache and and, uh, brain fog and hunger. So I'm not a fan of any sugar alcohols, you guys, ever, regardless of the name and whatever it's being sold under. Um, So just eat real whole foods and adjust your palate to eating whole real foods and stop trying to make damn cookies all the time. And if you must have a cookie, use a real food to sweeten it. Use a real food single ingredient chop up dates use a little bit of robust maple or uh, raw unfiltered honey and keep it to macros that keeps it less than 10 grams of carbs in the serving and that's probably still even going to be lower than a stamped keto product our ancestors
1: definitely didn't have pounds of erythritol and things like that going into their food
2: no no one had that Um, Yeah. And I I mean, I I can't say again, it's like my zucchini uh, collagen muffins, uh, which we'll link in this episode too, because I keep referencing them. They have one banana, six eggs, a quarter cup of ghee, a quarter cup of coconut oil um, and uh, almond flour and two tablespoons of coconut flour. And they're fantastic macros. And they have a banana and a banana actually has potassium, has prebiotic fibers to support the biome and is a whole real food, you know? So it's like, get back to whole real Uh,
1: food. So let's talk a little bit more about the microbiome of our ancestors versus where we're at today. Do we want to be focusing on the same diversity of strains in the gut as we saw with our ancestors? Or um, are we looking at other strains nowadays?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question to bring up. So, you know, of course, back in the day, everyone was vaginally birthed. There wasn't a, not, you just didn't make it, you know, so if you made it, you were vaginally birthed. Um, so every child was exposed to the vaginal cultures of the biome. Also, every child was breastfed because again, that was the only food source that was available. So now we're looking at a definitely different situation with cesarean, uh, C-sections or cesarean births and formula on the market. Beyond that, Back in the day, or ancestral approaches, there was higher dirt exposure. Uh, there was less exposure to sterilizing chemicals, and uh, also less exposure to stress, less exposure to antibiotics. So we're looking at a very different start point. Um, and yes, we saw that there were even commensal, or neutral, or potentially positive impact of parasites when we try to understand the biome and the guts of ancestors, Um, you know, mind you, they were eating, like you mentioned, Becky, raw meats and things like that. Um, You know, they didn't have preservation techniques in the same setting. And their biome, though, was just so rich and diverse because they didn't have any of the sterilization that we have today. So I really feel that diversity is still key and one of our goals we'd want to add is trying to have a cultured food daily to try to get that microbiome support of feeding good diverse bugs of living viable bacteria and be mindful fermentation was a necessity for preservation so all cultures ate some forms of fermented foods and so getting back to that is a great food as medicine prescription but then when we're looking at supplementation I really feel strongly that right now we really want to target the lacto and bifido strains, which we know in up-to-date research to be the most important drivers and producers of serotonin and GABA, those feel-good neurotransmitters, um, the most important regulators on inflammatory bowel disease and IBS. So I recommend on a probiotic level, go back to a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido, like our Restore Baseline probiotic. We'll put a link in the show notes about how to do a probiotic challenge and see if your biome accepts this good bacteria. And if at a higher dosage you would benefit from our targeted strength, which is 60 billion versus 15 billion, or whether you may need to do a gut cleanse to reset the tank. And then following antibiotics or complete sterilizing approach, you definitely may need or following a cleanse even, you may need more of like our spectrum probiotic, which has the Saccharomyces boulardii and Planetarium 99 and and a wider array within 30 billion colony forming units of strains. But I really feel on a probiotic day-to-day supplement level, we need that 50-50 blend
1: and then use the food for the diversity of the culturing. Awesome. I'll link to all those products as well as the probiotic challenge and our Candida cleanse in our show notes. And I think we have time for one more very, very brief concept, yeah. maybe.
2: <laughs> I know. And this is a yeah, bucket. I know yeah. it is. Um, <laughs> so,
1: you know, I think another big trend of wellness when we look at ancestral health and we look at the, the blue zones or the areas where people live the longest, um, there's a big trend around community. So let's talk about the role of community and kind of what you think on that front.
2: Yes. So, you know, I think loneliness, isolation, and disconnection drives disease as well. And that kind of ties into with the anti-anxiety diet, this movement of balancing this HPA axis for whole body health. And we really need to find our tribes. We need to find our common Minded, like minded, positive individuals. And, you know, we we often, that that line, your vibe attracts your tribe. And we need to have vibes. In order to send out vibes, I believe you need 3D connection. (laughs) Unfortunately, you can't do it through Instagram, you can't do it through social media. Um, You really need energy connection and physical touch and laughter, belly laughter, and being present in the moment. And unfortunately, although at this day and age, we're the most connected, we can get feedback and email and, and technology responses at the drop of a dime, we're also the most isolated because of that. And so I'd really focus on the disconnecting from our electronics, disconnecting from our social media, and connecting with our hearts and our bodies and our souls. And I want to just, just, just drop a dime on within this connection Another movement that I came up with, which is going to be its entire episode. I'm probably Me not either. versed <laughs> enough to do this one, so we'll have to find a guest. Maybe Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan. Huh? Um, but, you know, leading back to like 10,000 BC is the use of psychedelics, um, whether it has been forms of alcohol or caffeine or cacao or uh, use of different forms of mushrooms and, and uh, you know, looking toads <laughs> and herbs and hallucinogenic plants. Um, But there is, we're starting to see in up-to-date research again, this resurgence of this third coming of psychoactive compounds because they create this rawness of releasing addiction, releasing depression, releasing anxiety, releasing ego from the self, I think is the biggest thing. And I think that that's an interesting concept um, and that's what we're seeing with like microdosing and, and whatnot Uh, We are going to be uh, interviewing a mycologist uh, in November. So maybe we'll get him to talk a little bit about that. Um, And I think Becky and I are both a little gun shy to be (laughs) a personal experience. (laughs) Like I don't want to lose my brain. But I just think it's an interesting connection. And um, again, it's this concept, if you look at it, regardless of psychoactive compounds, but the connection of disconnecting from ego to reconnect to the spirit and the soul. Um, I think that that's where we, we see huge movements within Blue Zones and this community and positive and love vibe connection. So we will put together a tie up in the show notes, but big picture for you guys. If you want to connect with ancestral approaches to wellness, you need to A, reconnect to nature, walk barefoot, observe the moon, you know, take time to connect with nature and ground and root in move your body at least an hour a day, sleep for seven to nine hours per night and practice rest to recharge during the day, reduce your frequency of eating and practice some form of fasting, eating seasonally, checking out things that you can forge and purchase locally, supporting your local growers because that is your best pharmacy, eating the whole animal and mimicking intake of skin, joint, fattier tissues and organs and then finding your tribe and if you need to create it go
1: do it awesome I feel like that's an amazing ancestral manifesto or something that needs to become a, <laughs> a blog post and we could add to that go lick a toad but probably don't do that <laughs> So we'll link and sum up all of the things we talked about today in our show notes. As always, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences about why you love the podcast, why you love to listen, what you've learned, because it really helps us to spread our message to the masses.
2: Yes, and if you haven't signed up yet, grab your spot in our virtual Food is Medicine Keto program. We'd love to have you in our community, and that's a great place to start rooting with our tribe.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and Food is Medicine meal plans.